What's up everybody, Brad here, and we are back uh, doing what we do every Friday, which is kind of a recap of the week. This is actually how this whole channel got started. Um, so if you're new to the channel, welcome, love you having here. But what we're doing on Fridays is taking a look back at everything that was announced. There's, I've also got some a couple other things here about uh, some Surface stuff, PlayStation 5 specs that we haven't talked about yet. And let's just dive in, shall we? So this was a big week for the tech industry, CES was taking place. And granted, there's a lot of crap there that you just don't really need, you really don't. But buried inside of that, because part of the reason why all these companies come is because the large companies like Intel, AMD, Samsung, and all these guys show up with big, splashy products. And Intel was holding nothing back talking about their 10 nanometer ice lake chips, which if you haven't upgraded in the past couple years, which is perfectly fine, I've actually got a Skylake uh, based desktop right here, I think 6700K, and uh, I might be upgrading to Ice Lake, which is the 10 nanometer chip when it comes out, because it's looking to be like a pretty big deal. Granted, every year Intel is shoving out new chips, but I think that this is going to actually be a substantial jump over previous generations, and not, and, and not to undercut this, but the fact that it has Thunderbolt 3 built in with USB-C support is very, makes me very happy, very happy, because I think that is the future, and um, I'm very much looking forward to external GPUs on things like Surface Pros and just basic laptops and all that stuff. And so this is going to be fun. Be on the lookout for that. Uh, AMD also announced a new Radeon 7 graphics card, which is going to compete with the 2080. Uh, coming in February as well. It's not cheap, $699, but it will give you uh, 2080 style performance minus ray tracing for that price. So if you don't like NVIDIA and you want to buy something from AMD, there you go. You've now got that option. Uh, other things announced this week, Microsoft dropped build 18312, or also known as Windows 10 19H1, which should arrive here roughly in the March uh, time frame. And it's coming with this new feature called Reserve Storage. And I don't know if you want to call it a feature, but it's really what Microsoft is doing is clawing back some storage to make seamless to make updates a little bit more seamless. So they're going to take seven gigs of your storage and start loading the future updates onto it so that when it comes time to install them, it goes just a little bit better. Now, from I don't want to say most people, but for the average user, this is probably fine, I would think. As long as you have enough storage, you're probably not going to notice anything. But anybody who's living on the edge of uh, always having to clean out their drive, such as if you have a 256 gigabyte laptop or even worse, 128, this is a big deal because it's going to impact your available storage space. And so it'll be interesting to see how this actually works in, re in like the real world. But the idea here is to make Windows updates a little bit less invasive for the end user. So just be on the lookout for that. It's just something you need to be aware of. Uh, other things talking about this week, Samsung is going to announce their foldable phone in February, which is great, I guess. Um, I'll be very curious to see how this is positioned and utilized, mostly because I'm wondering, like, like there's a scale, the scale of functionality and novelty. And somewhere in between, this foldable phone is going to fall between is it really functional or is it more of a novelty? And we'll find out. More importantly, we'll find out the price. It's not going to be cheap, right? This is Gen 1 of the product. It's going to be positioned as a premium device. It's going to be high-end. Um, so I, it's not going to be cheap. Easily well over 1000 bucks, if not closer to 2000 We will find out. And so the, the question will become, is this a usable form factor that improves upon the traditional candy bar style, just all glass, all display screen. We don't know yet. We got to see what Samsung has up its sleeve, but be on the lookout for that in the second half of February. I will be watching that very closely, but the more important thing to point out here that was also talked about this week from LG, 
Samsung and of course last week with Apple is that guys, the smartphones market has peaked. I'm very, very confident that we have reached peak smartphone. And I don't mean that from like a performance and usability perspective, but I think from a market saturation perspective, because LG and Samsung both announced this week that mobile, their mobile segments are not living up to the revenues that they expected. Apple also famously announced that, which really hurt their market share. And so what I'm saying here is that not that smartphones are going away. That is the dumbest thing I could say. It's just that the distribution of them has probably reached just about market saturation, meaning that, hey, there's enough phones out on the market for everybody. Just dropping a new phone isn't going to grow that market. You're just going to be reselling to people who already have them, which is fine. Uh, We've been in this position for a long time with laptops. I mean, laptops, I think, I think it came out this week that PC sales have been declining for six or seven years uh, consecutively now. And so smartphones are finally getting to that point where, hey, uh, everybody has one that's going to buy one and we're pretty much there. And so you make of that what you will just kind of know that, hey, yeah, yeah, those those guys need to find new tricks to increase their market share now because now they're not fighting um, the person who's never had a smartphone. They're fighting the person like Apple is going against the person who has a Samsung. How do they convince them? And Samsung's going against somebody who has an iPhone. How do they convince them to switch to their product rather than buying the same product uh, in every couple of years? So it'll be fun to watch. This is when things start to get interesting. And uh, yeah. So other other things that came out this week. I've been doing a lot of stuff on Xbox, mostly because that's where I've been getting tips about things. But this came in, and I think it's worth addressing. This was posted on Reddit by a supposed, by many sources, or not my sources. Uh, many people are saying this guy is reliable so we will go with this he posted on reddit he says the ps5 comes equipped with 16 gigabytes of ddr gddr6 ram sony allegedly wanted to put 32 gigs in but they couldn't because they're trying to keep this thing to about 400 bucks but retail will actually ship for 500 because they're going to include a psvr2 so psvr2 is their headset right the the virtual reality thing so i don't Ugh, there's, it's going to be, the CPU is going to be based on an 8-core Ryzen CPU with Navi-based GPU, which is probably very similar to what uh, I'm expecting to see in um, the Xbox as well. Again, AMD is building this for both both companies, and so they're not building the same chip for both companies, but AMD is building the processor that's going to be utilized in consoles by both companies, um, which is always a fun thing because you have some people inside the company working on Sony, and they can't, they're not supposed to talk to the people working on Xbox, and so then, how do you divide up who, which engineers work, which uh, which engineers work on which project? Is always an interesting thing because if you give your A squad to Sony, then Microsoft's going to be screwed. So it's always fun to watch how these things shake out. But my my qualm with this is I really don't believe that Sony is going to force a PSVR2 on every user. Um, if they are, they are completely tone deaf and totally missed what happened with the Xbox One and the Kinect right? That was forced upon everybody and it was a huge mistake. And so I can't imagine that Sony is going to force a $100 peripheral on every single PlayStation user and increase the MSRP of their brand new console by 100 bucks just for that. It, it, it doesn't make sense, guys, because we all know that consumers are very, very price sensitive when it comes to consoles. And let's just say that Sony does launch this thing at 500 bucks with that PSVR2 headset. If Microsoft comes in with the Anaconda at 499, 100 bucks less without it, 
I can almost promise you that's going to give a massive advantage to the Xbox when the mom goes in at Christmas and says, which which console am I buying for little Timmy? They're both saying 4K 60 frames per second, but this one's 100 bucks less. Um, I, I'm still not totally sold that VR, the, the headsets are this magical thing. Don't get me wrong. They are awesome, and I like them, and I like using them, but I don't think they're a mass market product. I don't even think they're a mass gaming product because, again, when you go to game, you typically just want to plop your butt down on the couch, play a few games, and get up. You don't want to be having that headset on and then having to run around your house. That kind of defeats some of the purpose of the casual gaming side of it. So uh, the RAM side sounds about right. 16 gigs from what I've been hearing around the rumor mills. Uh, 32 would have been crazy. But the more importantly, they're saying that they're going to reserve 8 gigs for the OS is what some people are reporting. And that seems... if. If Sony needs 8 gigs of RAM for the OS that is running on the PlayStation 5, there is something going on there that we're not aware of, either it being a streaming service, which I don't think, um, or, or they, I don't know, 8 gigs of RAM for just the OS running on the PlayStation 5 seems like a lot, so I, I don't see that being completely accurate. And uh, four to five hundred bucks is what I'm hearing from Microsoft as well, and so that will be uh, that'll be that'll be an interesting price point. And yeah, that sounds about right. Speaking of game streaming, by the way, uh, theinformation.com reports that Amazon, to very little surprise, is also working on their own game streaming service. So now we know that Google is working on one. They've already demonstrated it. Microsoft is working on one. They've already well, they've demonstrated it on video. I think Google's has been on video too. And now Amazon is working on it. No surprise there. Amazon purchased Twitch, if you remember, and Twitch is a massive game streaming platform and it would play right into Amazon's wheelhouse because they already have the cloud distribution model set up, which also makes me think that there's no way in hell that they're working with Sony to build this stuff. I guess technically it's possible, but they I don't think they would um, because then you're competing and all that stuff. And then Sony would probably get really pissed too if they were giving money to Amazon and Amazon was also building a game streaming platform. That would be awkward. But anyway, so it looks like we're going to have a lot of competition in this space, which realistically also means that we're likely going to have a new couple gaming streaming services, which means more options for the end user, which means better things in the end. The question becomes is if Google or Amazon ever build like a local box, you know, the traditional console for these streaming services. We'll find out, but the more the merrier because for the gamer, that is better. Of course, that's got to make Sony really nervous if they're not already building something out like this. Microsoft, we, as we all know, is building it with xCloud, and so Sony's the only one we haven't heard. Nintendo hasn't either, but at the same time, Nintendo's already or always kind of marched to its own beat, if you will. Like, they've look at the Switch. Like, nobody really says, I'm going to buy a Switch or a PS5. Switch is always just kind of this own thing, and Nintendo's always lived off in its own world. It's worked out well for them, but uh, we will see. Other things happening this week. Uh, Teams has a couple new features. If you're not familiar with Teams, that's Microsoft's new communication platform, uh, making it easier for first-line workers to schedule, uh, communicate, and then there's also a praise functionality. This is a very uh, young generational thing. I was going to say millennial, but I think everybody loves praise, don't they? And so now it's being built into Teams. Uh, and also Roku. Roku has 27 million active users. I was I, I, The only reason I included that, I was quite surprised. Roku, good for them. Uh, they are kind of the other choice, right? If you don't want an Apple TV or something from Amazon, you go grab a Roku, which are, they're fabulous pieces of hardware. Um, so there you go. And then here's, here's another one for you. Here's a little inside baseball or whatever you want to call it. So there, we've, ta we've talked about Surface before. We've talked about Andromeda. We've talked about Centaurus. But there's another piece of, I'm pretty sure it's a piece of hardware um, called Janus, J-A-N-U-S. Some people call it Janus, um, but I believe it's Janus. 
and I don't know much about it other than a code name that has popped up. But if we do a little bit of digging into some of the uh, mythology behind the name, Andromeda typically is referred to as a daughter, and Centaurus is half man, half horse. So we know Centaurus is going to be a larger form factor, right, of a foldable device, something in that nature, which makes sense why it's called Andromeda, even though we've been thinking like astro, like galaxies. Um, Andromeda being sometimes referred to as a daughter, being smaller than Centaurus, kind of makes a bit of sense, which brings me to Genus, or Genus, whatever you want to call it, I'm terrible with pronunciation. Um, so here's here's the definition, is a Roman god of gates and doors represented with two opposite faces. So what I interpret that to mean, remember that Surface patent where there was a Surface Pro and then there was also a screen on the back? I wonder if this is related to that. Um, it doesn't seem too far out there based on the naming convention, but there's a couple of Surface names floating around out there that I'm, I'm poking around with. Um, but keep up Surface Genus, Janus, Janus, whatever you want to call it. I would love to know how you think you pronounce it because I'm, again, terrible, which leads us into the questions for today where I'm going to try to pronounce other people's names and, again, butcher them. But here we go. And I have something in my eyeball. Uh, Mary, oh, Mary Jo Foley. Mary Jo uh, asks, he says, can you share about your tot strategy for 2019? Uh, kind of a, a running joke or whatever is that we always get tater tots wherever we go. And the sad news is, is that Rattle and Hum East in New York City, which is where the tot love all started, has now closed. So I don't quite know what my tot strategy is for the year ahead. I'm going to have to venture outside the tot box and see what's going on. But more seriously, she says, do you think the Surface Studio Monitor could debut this year, or is it definitely not until 2020 at the earliest? This is a great question. So the Surface Studio, which we have back here, um, and my book, which I'll link to below, and you should totally give it a read. I think it's pretty good, you know, biased opinion aside, is that Microsoft is, is working on a monitor version of this. It's going to incorporate the same functionality as the Surface Hub 2, where it's that module compute, just in a smaller form factor. I don't know when exactly it's going to ship. I was originally told they were targeting 2020. Obviously, th that date could ship or could slip, could get moved forward. I think the bigger thing is they need to get the Surface Hub out the door because that is the underlying foundation for updating the next-gen Surface Studio. So depending on when they can do all that is going to depend on when they can get that studio monitor done. So could it come earlier? Absolutely. You guys got to remember, I wrote this stuff almost two years before it was going to be released, which means Microsoft is probably just now getting started working on it. And yeah, so timelines are going to ship there or slip there. Will R says, Brad, do you think the next gen successor to the Xbox One S should have a solid state drive? Yeah, I do. I'm almost positive it does. Or could they at least make them in smaller numbers and sell them through the Microsoft website? I know for a fact a lot of people would pay the extra money for an Xbox One X with a solid state drive. I personally would have paid more money for a solid state drive on my Xbox. You can't see it, but if you look, there's that little black wire right there. I need to move it. That is actually tied into an external hard drive, which has a solid state drive in it to help make games load faster. That's And, and it really does make a difference. If you're thinking, oh, it's going over USB 3, that's going to be a big, big deal. It does. It is definitely worth the investment if you were saying, hey, this is taking too long to load, especially in PUBG, where it makes a huge difference upon loot when you land. Um, but yeah, so the next-gen stuff will have a solid-state drive. It might be as much as up to uh, one terabyte is what I'm hearing. So uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Vod, Vodriel, 
Uh, Dell has shown off new functionality for Dell Mobile Connect coming soon, which looks amazing. Is there any news on when enhancements to your phone are coming? I don't know. Um, this is a good question because Microsoft made a lot of noise about your phone. But what I do know is that a lot of the consumer focus for uh, Windows 10 has been pushed back in favor of enterprise features. And so I, I don't have any specific timeline on that. Uh, SRRLX says, what goes into your decision of going to a tech trade show like CES? Do you think you missed anything by not going to CES this year? This is a really good question because I've gone to CES seven, eight, maybe even nine years in a row. And this is the first time I haven't gone. Um, the, one of the reasons why we didn't go is that the value of the show started to become less and less and less as products started shipping later and later and later. It used to be that you go to CES and a lot of this stuff would get announced and then it would be available within a couple weeks. Most of this stuff now is not shipping until maybe the summer or even in the second half of the year. Anything with Ice Lake is not coming until uh, the second half of 2019. Also, I really am sick of Vegas, so I try to avoid that city anymore only because I've been there so many times. I've been there over a dozen times, and um, CES is just, it's a cluster. Now, that being said, if you've never been to CES, I highly recommend you go at least once just to kind of see the calamity. Um, but there's quite literally over 100,000 people that come into town just for that event, and it is a nightmare trying to get anywhere inside the city. And so what makes us decide to go or not go? Um, this one was just purely, we didn't think we needed to go it, for a couple reasons. One, we get all the stuff embargoed from all the major players ahead of time anyways now. Uh, it used to be that you had to go to get there to get the embargoes, and then, then you could write about them. Now they just ship them to you. We started getting this stuff in like mid-December. So the, the value of going there to write news isn't as good. Not to mention writing news from the show floor is a terrible experience. Um, the other thing too, is that it, it's just, it's just a cluster. <laughs> it, there's a lot of cool tech, but the question is, did we miss, do we think we missed anything? The biggest thing you don't get by not going to these shows is the, the, I, I don't want to call it an amateur style, but the, the non PR images of the device. That is the biggest thing you miss when you don't go to something like this. And so do I miss that aspect? Absolutely. But at the same time, I'm happy that I didn't go because you always get sick at these events. They call it the CES flu. And uh, yeah. So Usman says, kind of torn here. I'm all in on the Microsoft software stack. I use Office 365 business for my freelance work and Outlook.com personally. I'm still deciding on a smart assistant ecosystem, hoping there would be a first party solution uh, to Microsoft integration, but only to see Google, uh, to see things from Google, blah, blah, blah. Uh, there was a Windows Home Hub and all that good stuff. From being a productive company, I would have expected an office-based home hub, like a service hub, but for the Surface Go-ish size, uh, showing integration with to-do, calendar, and all that stuff. Is this a missed market, or have they chosen to target the enterprise over, uh, over the... Have they chosen to just target the enterprise office over the market segment that the Echo Show and Google Home Hub competed. So you're not too far off the base here, right? Everything is kind of trickled down from the enterprise now, and their enterprise play for this type of device is a Surface Hub. Now, will they ever bring that to the home, which is kind of what he's alluding to, and which Home Hub was targeted to be as? And that I don't know. That project has been in limbo for a while, it absolutely did exist, but it got repurposed and kind of squashed mostly when they realized that Cortana was not going to be this massive consumer success. And they've kind of just said, hey, if you want to use that stuff, uh, Amazon makes a great product is basically what they said. So is it a missed segment? Yes. 
Um, is it a profitable segment for Microsoft? No, they've had a lot of non-good things happen in the hardware space other than Xbox and Surface hardware. And so when it comes to building something that's going to live in that space, it, it's dicey. What I could see them doing is offering the software to companies like Lenovo and all that, but without a first-party solution, it doesn't really show a lot of uh, commitment behind the product. Kadupa says, I have a question. How come you are making these short content now instead of 30-minute shows on Friday? Is it related to time management or to be first and confirmed scoops? So there's a lot... This is another really valid question because typically what I used to do was only do podcasts or videos on my YouTube channel on Fridays and they'd be about 30 minutes long, which is roughly how long this one is going to be. Uh, I think somewhere around there. So there's a couple things. One, um, this is a much deeper question. It's like, oh, is Brad just not wanting to do that? It's more of thinking long term about my career in this space. Um, typically, I've been putting a lot of effort into growing my Twitter account and growing the social media, that side of it. But there was an aspect of it that wasn't growing, which was YouTube side. And there's, a, there's value in growing your YouTube subscriber base um, for multiple reasons. And so this year, 2019, I started this at the very end of 2018. I've been putting more effort into building up a YouTube presence, and it's going well so far. And so that is why you've been seeing a lot more of the short clips rather than a long podcast on Friday. I still intend to do the things on Friday, longer style. And so one of the things that also limited that was writing the book. The writing the book was uh, brutal the last couple months. And the first thing that kind of fell off was some of the podcasts and stuff on Friday because I'd have to write, wake up and edit and write for a couple hours. And the podcast just wasn't allowing for that. So once the book finished, you can see a direct correlation to book finished. YouTube channel started getting a lot more activity. And so my plan for 2019 is to continue to do a lot of that stuff because there's a lot of things that were also happening in um, the podcast, such as today with Surface Janus or Janus, whatever you want to call it, uh, would get kind of meddled into all this. And then other people would, A, get the scoop on it. They would just write it out and, and make it more lucrative for somebody else to come click that stuff. And I'm not saying clickbait, but just extracting it because it was lost in the 30 minutes. And so the idea has been to when when there's like a really narrow topic to just go ahead and do a video on it and try to grow that side of my career, if you will. And so I don't intend to give up the podcast. The podcast, by the way, I only push to the RSS feeds on Friday, which um, is substantially larger than, say, the, the YouTube channel. So more than you probably bargained for, but 2019 for me is trying to grow my YouTube channel uh, as much as I possibly can and focusing on that from a content production stuff and all that stuff. So if you have any suggestions, happy to, happy to dive into them. And so uh, he also says, why Microsoft can't take a break from developing new features and fix bugs in Windows like, Win like Apple did for iOS? Well, they do kind of. If you've noticed, they've scaled back their major feature announcements, like things like Windows Timeline. We haven't really gotten a major feature update for Windows 10 in a while. And that's primarily because they're trying to fix bugs and they're trying to streamline the process. They're trying to make it better and they're trying to make it more enterprise friendly, which means that massive updates in all these feature releases isn't a thing. If you look at what was actually released in 1809, despite the fact that they had some major bugs, which doesn't really play into this narrative all that well, it wasn't all that substantial. And even looking at 19H1, again, it's pretty minor stuff, which is fine. Um, I'd rather than focus on quality, which Microsoft said they were going to be doing. Remember, they put out a major blog post and series of stuff. And so we got to kind of keep on their butts that they hold up to that end. But yeah, jeez, uh, uh, Cle Cleanslate. Cleanslate says, hi, Brad. I live in Iceland 
and we don't have access to Microsoft services like Game Pass. Do you think that that would change when Microsoft Microsoft starts to push xCloud, or do you have any info on Microsoft spreading the service to further uh, regions around the globe? Good question, because you would think that Microsoft would want this available everywhere, but Microsoft is very good about only launching things in the United States. So... Yeah, I don't have any specific information, but I believe that their intent is to keep spreading Game Pass far and wide because um, it, it's doing okay. I don't think it's doing as well as Microsoft hoped. They talked a lot about momentum, but they don't really talk about subscriber base. And so it, they're never, I don't think they ever will. Um, but I know that they want more users in there, and the easiest way to do that is to move it to new regions. The problem is, is that there's also licensing issues that they have to deal with, too. It's not like they can just say, hey, we're going to go launch in Iceland. They have game distribution deals and all that stuff, so it's usually easier for them to start small, spread spread out. But I would hope that they would, because this is a digital-only service. Unlike Surface hardware, where they have to physically ship a product, it seems like a, an electronic service like this should be much easier. Uh, Switch41 says, is Windows XP the greatest version of Windows ever? If not, what is? I would say that probably Windows 7 might go down in history as the greatest version. Windows 10 isn't bad, but the problem with Windows saying like Windows 10 is the best version is that there's so many versions of Windows 10, you can't be like, it's this version, because, well, no, it's next version. Like, it's Windows 10 is so many versions. So if you're going to say a specific version, I'd probably say Windows 7. Uh, Tourniquet says, when can we expect a successor to the Surface Go? I have no idea, candidly. Um, that thing just came out in July. I think you'd be looking at maybe a year, roughly, at least, is typically what they're on. Uh, Cloud Princess says, I'm sure you're aware, but I've never actually seen it con actually confirmed. Hollow Ones is a 32-bit x86, meaning it will work on, meaning its apps will work on ARM 64 HoloLens V2 via WoW emulation. This is likely demoed at build. So we know that HoloLens V2 is going to run on a Snapdragon chip, and so it's definitely going to be ARM. I don't know what we're going to see it build. I believe they're going to be announcing this thing relatively soon, because last I saw was that Sydney, which is the codename for HoloLens 2, was targeted for June um, of 2019. Announce, well, I should say it was targeted for June 2019. I don't know if that was announcement or release. And so if it either way, I think it would make sense that Microsoft would show this off at build because they need a, they need people to build for it. It's two, it's far, so far been a primarily an enterprise thing. And so we will see, but I think build this year is going to be super interesting. And then Sentinel uh, says he's been using Paul's standard procedure for a fresh install of Windows 10, although he's having some issues uh, with networking. Yeah, networking is always a dangerous beast. I was actually just talking about doing hardwiring my house because I hate my life. Um, and the mesh network I have works wonderfully, and I don't know why I would change any of that. So, guys, uh, this has been another, another rousing episode of The Sam's Report. We do this every Friday. Hit that subscribe button, register, or do whatever you want to do in life. Hopefully, you have a wonderful weekend. We're supposed to get some snow here, which should make for a lot of fun. And we'll catch you right back here next week.